Hi everyone, it's Carter. A quick disclaimer before the episode. Riley and I are teachers in the real world. That's not made up for the show. But one thing we do make up are students. Riley and I take our roles as public community members seriously and would never use the real names or personal experiences of students in our classes, past or present. As such, any student names you hear us say are made up on the spot, and stories about our classes are highly editorialized for entertainment. Also, we like to keep our show clean of inappropriate language or content, but we feel that the stories themselves should be read without censorship of language. A content warning will be in the show's description in case we need one. That's it. Enjoy the fable, fellas. Rise and shine and welcome to the Fable Fellas, where we are unfairly telling fairy tales. I am <laughs> Carter. I am Riley, and you gotta get that tagline down one of these days, Carter. That's our bread and butter. <laughs> you know, eventually it'll be printed on t-shirts, and then once, <laughs> once it's there, then I'll start saying it correctly. When we have merch that officially cements our legacy in, like, in the world, like, there'll be t-shirts showing up at thrift stop thrift stores that thrift say stops. fairy tales told unfairly the fable fellas with carter and riley <laughs> then i will be like all right i'll say it correctly because now we're a thing it's a thing it's happening it's a movement it's a brand we've got to have some respect for our process before it becomes a brand carter <laughs> you don't think it's healthy to just assume we're going to be incredibly successful <laughs> well and start making plans as though we are now that you've said it well it's been a minute and the holidays have come and gone. We uh, hopefully you had a nice holiday break from your job that you do that we do to we don't do together, but we do the same one of. I was sick most of winter break, unfortunately. Oh man, that is right. How are you feeling these days? Better, thankfully. And right Light now we're rain. in. Yeah, right now we're in a three day weekend, so I was able to sleep in. Sleep in so much so that I woke up a good uh, ten minutes ago. Coming right off of that, want to hear, let's let's hear more of the story about zombies. First, Carter, I actually want to do something a little different because it's been on my mind since the last time we recorded something. Oh, very cool. So I have a question I want to ask you. Got it. Go what, for it. What is a narrative pet peeve of yours? What is my biggest literary pet peeve? Yeah, well, not okay. even literary, just narrative pet peeves. Narrative Because over uh, winter break... I uh, I watched Die Hard because, you know, uh-huh. it's a Christmas movie. I'm not going to get into the thick of that argument. And no, I'm fully there with you. It's a Christmas movie, definitely. Yeah. And on the flight home from Vegas, where I spent a couple of days with my wife and in-laws, I watched Jean Van- Cla- Jean-Claude Van Damme's Sudden Death. And okay. I'm starting to realize that in action movies, I don't really have a lot of interest for villains that are not cartoonishly evil, but irrationally evil. Because the terrorists in that movie, part of their whole scheme is that they need to um, basically threaten and blackmail the chef in the kitchen in order to get into the owner's box where the vice president is. And to do that, they send a guy to his house to basically hold his wife hostage at gunpoint. And they're like, hey, we have your wife. Do as we say. And the second they get in there and get control of the situation, the guy who is like keeping tabs on his wife shoots her and the main bad guy shoots the cook and just 
it's pointlessly evil to the point where, like, this is just going to further establish that these aren't people that can be trusted or negotiated with, so why do anything they say, why not just try to find a way to get them? Yeah, I mean, there is always that, there's always that under duress part of an action movie where you're like, well, clearly this character has to know that when they've only got the chips, they like when something's being like tortured, they're trying to get information. It's like, don't give them anything because they will just kill you when they're done. This is like that part. And this is what Die Hard does so well, where when the guy who runs like who owns the building is like, you're I'm not going to tell you anything. You may as well just kill me. And then Hans Gruber's like, yeah, OK, OK, that makes him seem very, very evil, but not irrationally evil, not irrationally evil, but just like, fine. Yeah, I get it. Like Man, in sudden death, they kill they kill the woman who's in the mascot suit so that someone can replace her, but at no point in the entire movie does that help their plan at all. It just means that they have a person in a penguin mask walking around to kill somebody if they happen to be, like, in the way. There's definitely an unspoken, I think, set of ingredients that separates a good action movie from uh, just your average action movie. I think characterization is so important for those things because in Die Hard, especially you get all of the amazing, all of the amazing villains who all have like a lot, like all the henchmen have their own little thing going on. Like you've got the hacker guy and you've got the, the brother bent on revenge. Who's like the big, you know, huge hulking male specimen with the, with the Mm -hmm. German, the German guy with the blonde hair. Um, And of course you've got Hans Gruber and he's, he's got a really good plan. Whereas then you get into like sudden death and you're like, okay, well, this is just to watch Jean-Claude Van Damme traipse around shooting gun for an hour and a half because we're part of the Hollywood machine. And basically our job is to churn out action movie after action movie, not thinking about the fact that some of these might become everlasting staples of the genre. Mm-hmm. You got to make sure that there is some consistency. You got to make sure that your villains are interesting to watch and you got to make sure that at the end you've created more for the antagonists than just thug number one, thug number two, thug number three, parentheses, female. (laughs) Exactly. One major narrative pet peeve I have is prequels. Literally any prequel. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what it is with me, but I, it's so hard for me to buy into a prequel or to, or to decide that a prequel is worth my time because knowing, knowing that things are going to turn out either, well, knowing that a story has already been established that can't be changed and the prequel. So like, you know, if you go into any prequel, you're going to know who lives, you're going to know who dies, and you're going to know that no major thing could happen that would alter the course of the fate of the characters because we already know what their actual big grand adventure already was. And so I think that there's the something recontextualizing very... just does not appeal to you at all. Not learning more about certain characters or seeing things from a different perspective. It's just no, it has to be really, really important. Like there has to, I don't, it's just that there's very little when, when you tell a story, you know, because of like the, the iceberg principle and the idea of narrative brevity where you want to start a story as close to the ending as possible and you want to cut out all the uninteresting bits, when people tell their original story or write, write their, you know, the first adventure or whatever of the protagonist, then they've decided that this is the momentous thing that's going to happen to them. And so therefore any, any future prequels is essentially saying, okay, you liked that guy, huh? Well, I guess I'll tell you some more about him. It's like, you didn't need to. We liked the thing because you told us enough at the beginning. Hmm. 
I also don't like how, like, everything is already set in stone, like I'd, I'd said before. I don't know. There's such a, I have such a block with prequels that I, it's hard for me to find value in them. I'm trying to even think of an example of a prequel that I really, really like as much or better than the original. Hmm, all right. That definitely makes sense now that you laid it all out like that. <laughs> yeah. That's... That is a is a huge narrative pet peeve. A small narrative pet peeve, when somebody pointed this out to me, I think it might have been Alex, pointed out to me. Good friend of the show, best friend of mine, friend, Alex Dan. Friend Johnson. of the show, Alex. Uh, I don't know. I, it might have been him. It might have been somebody else. But in any horror movie, when something happens on camera that only the audience is meant to see, but the characters don't, is a really... like Like, you know, you're going... I think this came up in some weird hospital horror movie where the characters are walking down a hallway and they're going after like they're going past door after door. And then like in one of the doors through the window of the door, there's like a big spooky haunted face and mm-hmm. the characters don't see it. They're not they don't react, but you're meant to react as an audience to the jump scare. But it's like it's not actually adding to the psychological terror for the characters. It's just going like, look at this, guys. <laughs> Well, if it's to establish dramatic irony, I definitely think there's a point to that. Like how um, once we watched uh, The Strangers, which is a a trash horror movie, it's not good, but one of the most memorable, the only memorable scene of two memorable scenes in the movie is when she's like looking around her living room trying to find out what's going on and one of the killers walks into the room and is looking at her and she doesn't see him, she doesn't know he's there, and after, like, a beat, he walks away. Like, the dramatic mm-hmm. irony of that was the only really well-made part of that whole movie. But if it's just to put a spooky thing in the background and to scare the viewer, and doesn't really tie into the story like that, then, yeah, I think I can agree that that's pretty low-hanging fruit. Yeah, it's it's that, like... What what's the uh, there's another there's a movie term term for this which is it's not diegetic it's like mise en scene or something I don't know that Some definitely term. is a movie term that I <laughs> am vaguely aware of I feel like it yeah it has something to do with it might it might just be diegetic where like the what's happening what what you're seeing is what the characters are experiencing yeah is an important part of watching a movie to me it really messes um, with my miso soup. <laughs> A, a th- another thing that the strangers does really well is it's Put me to uh, sleep. it's the the first third of the movie where like the mis- the mystery is happening because at the end of the day there's a lot I think the the hardest thing a horror movie has to do is the transition between the mystery of what's happening and the you know the the sort of thrill ride action that it has to inevitably transition to eventually calling the strangers thrill ride action is pretty generous carter i mean going from what's going on to oh it's just three psychopaths who are trying to kill this couple and then once the movie turns into oh it's just three psychopaths who are trying to kill these poor people and doing a bad job at it too yeah (laughs) but like when I think one of the mo- the strongest parts of that movie is when there's the knock on the door and the girl just says, you know, is like right there and goes, is Tamara home? A name that they have, the couple has zero association with, has no idea who this person is or why they're there. And that question is such a mystery box, interesting thing that it really enhances the atmosphere. And I think it's one of the most effective parts of the movie. And it happens in the first like 15 minutes and then it's all downhill from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Maybe we should just go straight to a story. <laughs> this is a pretty good. <coughs> yeah, yeah. We've yeah. already been going for 13 minutes, but this that was a, that was a fun conversation. That yeah, I think I don't think feels... it has to be zombos all the time. Yeah, we can talk. We can talk narrative elements because this is a podcast about uh, na- the narrative flavor and elements of of literature. I'm uh, moving into a new condo, and I've packed up every book I own and moved them to the new condo, all except for. The Young Folk Shelf of Books is Junior <laughs> Classics 1, Fairy Tales and Fables by the popular edition through Collier Publishing. And I have a story today called Andrew Coffee by Joseph Jacobs. <laughs> All right. Oh, Joseph <laughs> Jacobs, our old friend. Mm-hmm. This one is told in first person, sort of. That's okay. That's new. It's really not. It's to, It just starts in first person. My grandfather, Andrew Coffey, was known to the whole barony as a quiet, decent man. And if the whole barony knew him, he knew the whole barony. Every inch, hill and dale, bog and pasture, field and covert. Fancy his surprise one evening when he found himself in a part of the demence he couldn't recognize a bit. Neat. By the way, I... I had to look up how to pronounce that word, and I still think I messed it up. It's D-E-M-E-S-N-E, and it's like meh, or it's like meh, main. I think it's main, actually. Huh. It's just M. It's just the word main, but it's spelled D-E-M-E-S-N-E. Interesting. Yeah. It just means a part of your property that is set aside to be natural, like any garden, any forest on your property is a main is it or a domain hmm. anyway well, that's something we should bring back naturally yeah right the natural good world spelling bee word too yeah <laughs> or actually an evil spelling bee word because <laughs> yeah. you say like three of the letters that are in this eight letter word the great equalizer at the spelling bee <laughs> uh so he found a part of his property that he'd never seen before he couldn't recognize a bit He and his good horse were always stumbling up against some tree or stumbling down into some bog hole that by rights didn't ought to be there. And that was the good horse. (laughs) You should have seen his least favorite horse. He was picking out horses in the morning because, you know, (laughs) he seems pretty rich. He's got a whole barony and he's got he's choosing between his good horse, his bad horse and his okay horse. Look, I'm just saying my horses would all know exactly where they stand with me. Do you think in the same way that we've got bikes that people had city horses and forest horses? Like mountain (laughs) horses? (laughs) Yeah, like one horse that was just way better with crowds and one horse that can go up a steep incline better. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like has better traction. Yeah. All right. Come on, kids. We're going on a horse ride today. Which gear should we pick, Dad? (laughs) I've got a six-speed horse. <laughs> Whoa, cool. Does your horse have handlebar braking or pedal braking? <laughs> Horses should have handlebars. They should, honestly. That's, that's why we got... the day. That's why bikes were invented, frankly, because they were like, well, we can't... Check this out. It's like a horse, but with handles. <laughs> Let's see. Here we go. On the top of all this, the rain came pelting down wherever there was a clearing, and the cold March wind tore through the trees. Glad he was when he saw a light in the distance, and drawing near found a cabin, though for the life of him he couldn't think of how it came there. However, in he walked, after tying up his horse, and right welcome was the brushwood fire blazing on the hearth, and there stood a chair right and tight that seemed to say, come sit down on me. There wasn't a soul Have you noticed this is better written than the other stories of his that we have read in the past? 
Mm-hmm. It is very like it, nicely written. It's more descriptive. It's kind of more enticing in a way. Mm-hmm. It's got like a poetic sing-song equality to the prose. Yeah, this must have been uh, from later on in his life after he had gotten a couple in the tank. <laughs> Maybe some his... staunch criticism from the fable fellows of his era. <laughs> Joseph da- jo- Joseph Jacobs prosaic period. <laughs> there wasn't a soul else in the room. Well, he did sit, and got a little warm and cheered after his drenching. But all the while, he was wondering and wondering. Andrew Coffey? Andrew Coffey? Good heavens, who was calling him? (laughs) And not a soul in sight. Look around as he might, indoors and out, he could find no creature with two legs or four, for his horse was gone. (gasps) Did he think his horse? Did he think his good horse was calling him? I think he was looking around. For who was calling him, and then just happened to look outside and notice that his horse had gone. He's like, well, okay. <laughs> you don't think it was yeah, he looked have... around, he's like, could it be? Could it be Could my it be my old talking? mare finally learned how to talk after years of lessons that didn't pay off? <laughs> oh no, it's so much worse than that. He's just straight up missing. <laughs> no, my good horse. You have to go back home to all my loser horses. I gotta bring my city horse next time I go looking through my domain. I have to completely reassess the pecking order. I wonder if if it if it really is pronounced domain. I wonder if it has to do with the word domain, like D O M A I N E. Maybe no A I N. The domain doesn't have an E at the end, right? No, it does not. Yeah, maybe it's come. Maybe it comes from that or translated into that somehow. Andrew Coffee, Andrew Coffee, tell me a story. It was louder this time, and it was nearer. And then what a thing to ask for. It was bad enough not to be let sit by the fire and dry oneself without being bothered for a story. (laughs) This guy's less worried about the disembodied voice demanding a story and the fact that he's feeling very put upon for being asked to tell him a story (laughs) in the first place. How inconvenient. I just wanted to sit by this fire in this unknown cabin that was on my property, but I've never ever seen before. Is that so wrong? I just wanted a quick moment to rest my bones before I evict you. It was my (laughs) land. (laughs) <laughs> Andrew Coffee, Andrew Coffee, tell me a story or it'll be the worst for you. My poor grandfather was so dumbfounded that he could only stand and stare. Ooh, new information. Getting interesting. Andrew Coffee, Andrew Coffee, I told you it'd be the worst for you. And with that, didn't give him time there... to respond. <laughs> well, he's just what? sitting around puzzled. What an impatient specter. No kidding. Well, we'll find out just just what kind of specter this is right here. And with that, out there bounced from a cupboard that Andrew Coffey had never noticed before, a man. (gasps) And the man was in a towering rage. But it wasn't that. And he carried as fine a black thorn as you'd wish to crack a man's head with. I I wouldn't wish that. Don't even, couldn't even picture what he's carrying. Maybe he's like a stick. I don't even know. Maybe he's just holding like a single thorn from like a rose. Oh, yeah. He's just like, <laughs> pinching it between his thumbs and finger. He's like, ah! What a terrifying image. <laughs> um, but it wasn't that either. But when my grandfather clapped eyes on him, he knew him for Patrick Rooney. And all the world knew he'd gone overboard fishing one night, long years before. Oh. oh. Andrew Coffey would neither stop nor stay. But he took to his heels and was out of the house as hard as he could. He ran and he ran, taking little thought of what was before, till at last he ran up against a big tree. And then he sat down to rest. He hadn't sat for a moment when he heard voices. It's heavy he is, the vagabond, 
Steady now. We'll rest when we get under the big tree yonder. Now that happened to be the tree under which Andrew Coffey was sitting. At least he thought so, for seeing a branch handy, he swung himself up by it, and was soon snugly hidden away. Better see than be seen, thought he. Saying, like, uh-oh. Yeah. He's, so, good. Somebody's coming. Better to see than be seen is a good is a good piece of advice. Yeah, that's right, and he's just come from such a fright. The rain had stopped and the wind fallen. The night was blacker than ever. But Andrew Coffey could see four men, and they were carrying between them a long box. Under the tree they came, set the box down, opened it, and... Not four... Four men! Four men! Four men, no! Four men, not foreman. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's better. It's a cop, a judge, and a nun. I can't... (laughs) It's the Bremerton musicians, and they're here for blood. (laughs) Oh my gosh, the musicians, I knew they'd come back. And they were carrying a box, oh sorry, so they have this box. They set it down, opened it, and who should they bring out but Patrick Rooney? Never a word did he say, and he looked as pale as old snow. Well, one gathered brushwood, and another took out tinder and flint, and they soon had a big fire roaring. And my grandfather could see Patrick plainly enough. If he had kept still before, he kept stiller now. Soon they had four poles up and a pole across right over the fire for all the world like a spit and onto the pole they slung Patrick Rooney. I like that it says for all the world like a spit and not just they made a spit. Yeah, they made a spit. (laughs) They made something that looked a lot like a spit. Mm, You know, if I didn't know any better, I'd say that was a split. I think they could just... (laughs) I got a note for you here. Just just write, they made a spit. Yeah. (laughs) Have confidence in your descriptions, you, you, they made a split. It's like <laughs> it sure looks like a split. Are you saying split? Are you saying like split? splitting wood? <laughs> what? Spit. Oh yeah, spit. Like the thing no you L. do wood on. Yeah, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I just woke up. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So on the spit, they put Patrick Rooney. Imagine if John <laughs> Jacobs said at the beginning of the story, Mr. Coffee got on what looked for all the world to be like a really good horse and then went across <laughs> what could only be described as the land he owned. <laughs> a creature with four legs <laughs> with a saddle that for all the world may have been a horse. <laughs> Andrew Coffey rode this... <laughs> this bizarre Alleged beast. horse. <laughs> it's a so-called horse. <laughs> Through yonder hill and dale. Anyway, they're putting Patrick... They tie, they're tie. tying Patrick Rooney to the spit. Patrick Rooney, remember, the man it might who be a supposedly mysteriously died two years ago. When and who really wanted to hear fishing. a story. Yeah. He'll do well enough said one, but who's to mind him whilst we're away? Who'll turn the fire? Who'll see that he doesn't burn? With that, Patrick opened his lips. Andrew Coffey, said he. Andrew Coffey, Andrew Coffey. Yeah, basically. Well, he says says the name of the guy in the tree, remember. So Patrick is, is being put on a spit next to a fire, and he's shouting up into the tree at Patrick, or sorry, at Andrew, who is hiding there. And he just yells it over and over again. Andrew Coffey, Andrew Coffey, Andrew Coffey. And then Andrew Coffey has to say, apparently now, because he's been found. Um, I'm obliged to you, gentlemen, said Andrew Coffey. But indeed, I know nothing about the business. So he's like, I didn't see anything. Please let me go. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm not, be, me being the tree is not suspicious. <laughs> 
I was in this tree before you guys showed up. I want you to know that. <laughs> and I wasn't waiting for you. I just, I was running actually. This Okay, so this is going to sound crazy. But the guy who you're roasting over a fire just jumped out of a cupboard at me not a minute ago. It's so weird, right? It's so weird. I'm, I'm as confused as you are. You'd better come down, Andrew Coffey, said Patrick. And Andrew Coffey decided he would come down. The four men went off and he was left all alone with Patrick. So these four men are just like, oh, all right. All right, neat. Bye. How convenient that you were up in this tree here. Go ahead and make sure Patrick or make sure Patrick doesn't burn on the fire. How convenient that you're up in this tree and this guy that we're trying to murk knows your full name. <laughs> anyway, then he, then he sat and he kept the fire even and he kept the spit turning and all the while Patrick looked at him. It's not unsettling. Yeah, that's a terrifying mental image. <laughs> There's a great drawing of this too. I'll send it to you at the end. <laughs> Poor Andrew Coffey couldn't make it out, or couldn't make it all out, at all, at all, and he stared at Patrick and at the fire, and he thought of the little house in the wood till he felt quite dazed. So at the very least, Andrew Coffey is a lot like us, who's like, what on earth is happening yeah, to what? me right now? This does not make any sort of sense. I'm just <laughs> gotta ride the wave as best as I can and try not to get bucked off. <laughs> ah, but it's burning me, yar, says Patrick, very short and sharp. I'm yeah. sure I beg your pardon, said my grandfather, but might I ask you a question? If you want a crooked answer, said Patrick, turn away or it'll be the worst for you. But my grandfather couldn't get it out of his head. Hadn't everybody far and near said Patrick had fallen overboard? There was enough to think about, and my grandfather did think. Andrew Coffey, Andrew Coffey, it's burning me, Yar. Soon enough, my grandfather was. And he vowed he wouldn't do so again. Oh, sorry enough, my grandfather was. <laughs> and vowed he wouldn't do so again. So he's just like, yeah, I'm really sorry about having to cook you over this fire. I won't yeah. do it again, okay? <laughs> after, we're done with the, after we're done here, I won't cook anybody else. I promise, you have my word. <laughs> You'd better not, said Patrick. And he gave, him a, he gave him a cock of his eye and a grin of his teeth at that just sent a shiver down Andrew Coffey's back. Well, it was odd that here he should be in a thick wood he had never set eyes upon, turning Patrick Rooney upon a spit. You can't wonder at my grandfather thinking and thinking and not minding the fire. Why is this such a cerebral, weird story? This guy is supposed to be dead. He was trying to get, like, these other guys are trying to murder him by burning him alive? This... Arguably, this is almost more ominous than that little old lady on the hill that was taking advantage of little two eyes. Yeah, I think this is the scariest story we've read so far, but in a much subtler way than most. Yeah, because there is no ability to grasp what is going on, but in a different Absolutely. sort of way than how the stories usually go. <laughs> There's not a, there is not a thread that we can hold close and cling to. Andrew Coffey, Andrew Coffey, it's the death of you, I'll be. And with that, what did my grandfather see but Patrick unsling himself from the spit, and his eyes glared and his teeth glistened. It was neither stop nor stay my grandfather made, but out he ran into the night of the wood. It seemed to him there wasn't a stone but was for his stumbling, not a branch but beat his face, not a bramble but tore his skin. And wherever it was clear, the rain pelted down and the cold March wind howled along. Bad night. <sighs> that was a... It was a lot. Glad was he to see a light, and a minute after he was kneeling, dazed, drenched, and bedraggled by the hearthside. The brushwood flamed, and the brushwood crackled, and soon my grandfather began to feel a little warm and dry and easy in the mind. Andrew Coffey! Andrew Coffey! <laughs> no! 
<laughs> it's hard for a man to jump when he has been through all my grandfather had, but jump he did. And when he looked around, where should he find himself but in the very cabin he had first met Patrick in? No. Andrew Coffey, Andrew Coffey, tell me a story. Is it a story you want? Said my grandfather as bold y- as me. Yes. Be. For he was just Obviously. <laughs> That's what I, yes, correct. Come on, Pat. Come on, Andrew. Oh, okay. Here we go. Is it a story you want? Said my grandfather as bold as may be, for he was just tired of being frightened. Well, if you can tell me the rights of this one, I'll be thankful. And he told the tale of what had befallen him from first to last that night. The tale was long, and maybe Andrew Coffey was weary. It's asleep he must have fallen. For when he awoke, he lay on the hillside under the open heavens, and his horse grazed at his side. <gasps> it was only a dream! Ah, oh, man. Speaking of narrative, narrative bummers. Ah! Uh, <laughs> uh, come on! That was one of the most interesting things we have read on the podcast, and it was all a dream! It was only a dream. He fell asleep. God, Jacobs! We were rooting for you. We were both rooting for you. How could you do this to us? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's left me sort of high and dry for because I wanted to talk about the, the, you know, this guy. So he goes and he finds a house he's never seen before on his property. And inside, in a cupboard, there is a man who supposedly died years ago. Scares scares Mr. Coffee, who runs away, finds a tree to climb up, and then who should show up but four men carrying a box that the same guy who jumped out of the cupboard is also happens to be in, who they try to cook on a fire for seemingly no reason. You know what? I will say this. To the story's credit, it does have a sort of dreamlike quality, because at no point does Andrew really take the time to actively question just what is going on like he acknowledges oh patrick died a while ago that's weird i'm out of here but then he doesn't really put a lot of thought into why he should just start burning this guy on a spit running through the forest and tripping over everything that feels like the sort of no control thing that happens in a bad dream so while it is very narratively unsatisfying in the end it is at least consistent with how dreams normally you know pan out that is true it's got yeah it's got that mystery and it is and it is very weird and then at the end you're like ah okay fine (sighs) andrew coffee well it it's clear that this one is not one of those stories that you know i doubt there's a disney adaptation in the (laughs) world yeah (laughs) there's not a lot you can do with it by the way, I thought it might be fun at the end of the show, since we are, this is this is a liter- literary podcast, is there any book recommendations you have for our large audience? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, I got- a wreck. Yeah, I got an advanced reader's copy of How to Sell a Haunted House by Grady Hendrix, and mm. it is a very compelling story. I've always loved his book, My Best Friend's Exorcism. But My Best Friend's Exorcism was one of the first books that he wrote, and this one really blew Best Friend's Exorcism out of the water in terms of quality, 
And that's something I almost felt guilty saying because I loved the first one so much. So you can imagine how much the second one sat with me. It's got a weird sort of narrative whiplash where the story starts out being a story about loss and growing up and moving on. And it stays that throughout the story. The different sections are labeled after the different stages of grief. Mm. And then about halfway through the story, it becomes a narrative about killer puppets. So that really uh, gets you. (laughs) <laughs> i think grady hendrix did final girl survivor club right or the final girl support group yes he did i that is the one book by grady that i have read um which i enjoyed i found it like uh, sort of a, a a poppy book not one that like your cat probably no <laughs> more like uh, i guess what i mean to say is like not a book that i think will like stick with me and i'll like i'll think about in years from now like some books but certainly like a, a very fun, you know, a fun roller coaster ride of a book. It definitely had a twist I did not anticipate. Yeah, Grady Hendrix has got some really good stuff. Yeah, I think we should do this. I think every since we record two episodes uh, uh, a session, you should do a book wreck and I'll do a book wreck at the end of the next episode. OK, sounds great. Cool beans. You want to jump straight into the next? Oh, wait, we have to end this. <laughs> That's right. Oh, man, we're out of practice. <laughs> Thanks for watching, everybody. If you like what you heard, please leave us a positive review. And if you need to find other places to find us, we are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Uh, that is absolutely correct. And let's see, if I did the intro, does that mean I'm saying the yeah, final thing? Yeah, too? you start with the sign off. Great. All right. I've been Carter. I'm still Riley. Keep it viddy!